Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Well, hey, we are in our out-of-pocket series, as uh, Pastor Jared mentioned. Uh, And before I get started, I just want to thank Pastor Brandon and Emma for giving the opportunity to be a part of this series and be speaking into it, uh, and also the challenge of it. Uh, Brandon and Emma, if you guys don't know, which I hope you do, they are uh, fantastic leaders. And it's cool just to have uh, pastors that are willing to step out boldly and tackle the tough topics. And I think that even for myself to be up here today speaking this message, which I'm going to tell you what it's about right now. We're talking about hell today. Talking about why hell. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) And I thought it was quiet before. Um, We're talking about hell today. And and even for me to come up here and speak a message on something like this, uh, I'm really thankful for lead pastors that kind of blaze the trail. For Brandon and Emma saying, hey, we actually want to do a whole series at our church where we tackle the tough things head on where we actually talk about the stuff that people are asking, where we tackle the questions that people have, where we're willing to talk about things that are happening in our culture and our society that are difficult and tricky to navigate as the church. Uh, And I'm really thankful for even just the model. Woo, all right. Uh, Just the model that Pastor Brandon's given of tackling some of these real doozies first uh, and kind of going ahead and talking through some of these things and being able to um, uh, myself come up here and tackle this tough topic, uh, uh, having learned and been able to be coached up by him. And so I'm really thankful for them. They're on vacation right now, which is awesome. Uh, I believe they're in Sobel Beach, which is super fun. uh, And I hope that they are enjoying themselves this morning. So today we are talking about hell. And before I get started, I just want to direct you guys to... I'm going to lose my spot. All right, wait. There we go. Uh, To this out-of-pocket survival guide. Uh, This is something that our comms team created. It's super awesome. And basically, it kind of goes through like a crash course in answering tough questions. It gives us kind of a breakdown of what the Bible is, of how to approach scripture, of how to actually read and tackle tough questions that we we find in here. Uh, Good questions to ask ourselves, who we can talk to, resource recommendations if we need good resources. Uh, And I would really recommend you pick one of these up. It is made to be a size that it can fit in your Bible as a bookmark so that you have it with you whenever you're coming across your own hard cues. We've talked about a lot of these things throughout this series, uh, but there's a lot more. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that we're going to struggle with. There's a lot of tough questions out there that we're going to have to navigate. uh, And I really believe this survival guide is going to help us through that and give us a really great framework for tackling these things on our own in the future, being self-feeders. So we're going to hand these out today, and I'd encourage you to grab one of those and toss it in your Bible. All right, that might be the most important thing I say today. Uh, Honestly, just having a good resource to go and do it ourselves. But I want to jump in now and start off by reading Matthew 10, 26 to 33. It says this. It says, so do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Rather, be afraid of the one, capital O, talking about God, 
who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for the opportunity that we have today to open up your word, Lord. God, I just pray right now that this would seriously not be my words, but would be yours speaking here this morning, God. I pray right now that as we unpack your scriptures, as we unpack your words, Lord Jesus, that you would just open up our eyes to the beauty of your love, Lord God, that you would transform our hearts and you would draw us closer to you. In your name, amen. Amen. Why hell? That's our question for today. Why hell? You know, I think hell as this concept or idea is one of the the hardest things that the people in our lives kind of struggle with when it comes to understanding our faith. There's a quote by Bertrand Russell, a English uh, philosopher and kind of public academic. He said, I do not myself feel that any person who is really profoundly humane can believe in everlasting punishment. I think that's frankly the thoughts of a lot of the people in our culture and our world today. Um, somebody was telling me recently uh, this week how they were talking to a coworker uh, who was just saying that they're like, yeah, like uh, this other person, and, and I don't know if the coworker knew they were Christian or, or just maybe like was kind of dancing around it, but was talking about somebody else uh, and was like, yeah, this person like believes in hell and so they think I'm gonna burn in hell and so they're like clearly like don't love me and they're a bad person. Paraphrasing a little bit. They're sharing this to somebody in our church, and I think that's the reality of how some of our friends and some of our family and the people in our lives see this idea of hell. And I think people can even look at us and say, like, wow, like, how could you believe that I'm going to go to hell? How could you believe that I'm going to experience this, this torment or this punishment? And, and people wrestle with this, and they struggle with it, and I think it's actually one of the biggest barriers we have in reaching the people in our lives with the love of Jesus. And so today, I want us to answer a couple, I want us to kind of try and do a couple things. First, I want to equip us as people who believe in Jesus, who have chosen to follow him, to actually have an understanding of hell that allows us to like have a discussion with somebody in our lives about it. That when we face these tough questions, when we face opposition, when we face people uh, uh, feeling hurt or frustrated by this idea of hell, that we're actually able to talk to people about it in an honest and a loving and an understanding way, and that we have a good foundation for it. But beyond that, I kind of have a second goal. And that's that we would actually find the hope in hell today. I know that sounds like a weird thing. And I think that hell is not something that is, uh, it's not something that is easy to digest, and it shouldn't be something that's easy to digest. Even God finds sorrow in the fact that some people are going to go to hell. But for us today, as we gather here as Christians, I think if we're being really honest with ourselves, we're going to admit that a lot of us aren't very comfortable. We're not very comfortable sitting here right now. We're not super comfortable with the idea of hell. It's not just our friends that we have to defend this to, but to be honest, we kind of need to defend it to ourselves because we don't really like it. And it doesn't align with this kind of view of what love is. 
and how we picture a loving God to be. And so we wrestle with it and we struggle with it. And as I've been researching and kind of diving into it and spending time with Jesus preparing for this message, I feel like God has just been working in my heart to really transform my view. To really give me this overwhelming sense of the hope and love that he has for us. And actually seeing that there is, in this weird kind of way, actually hope in this idea of hell. And that his love is actually highlighted through the reality of hell to be so much more beautiful and great than I could even imagine. And I don't think all of us are going to get there today. I'm sure some of us are still going to leave here today with lots of questions and lots of concerns and lots of stuff that we're going to have to wrestle and process through. But my hope today is that we would just be overwhelmed by the love of God as we begin to unpack this idea of hell. So to start, I kind of want to talk about our like conceptions and misconceptions of what hell looks like. For me personally, I feel like my visualization of hell comes from the 1989 animated classic starring Burt Reynolds as the, the uh, main character, Charles B. Barkin. All Dogs Go to Heaven. Has anybody seen this movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven? Yeah, there we go. That's what hell in All Dogs Goes to Heaven looks like. It's a little bit spooky. It's a demon. Can we get that? That's scary. Can we get rid of that? That's, that's enough. That's enough. A little slow there, all right? But seriously, that's kind of my conception of hell. It's like I feel like it's like this fiery place and there's like maybe like some old school torture machines or something. And it's like this like crazy place and all this kind of stuff. And, and I think that a lot of us would have a similar idea. And actually, a lot of the imagery that we have of hell comes from Dante's Inferno. It was a book that was written a long, 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 hundreds and hundreds of years ago uh, that is kind of about like hell and, and all this stuff. And it's just like... It's not like biblical, it's like mostly just a bunch of made up stuff and it's like this narrative book and all these things, but it actually for, uh, for centuries has informed our view and how we understand and think about hell and, and how we picture it. And so I first off want to kind of tackle the misconception of what hell looks like. I think we have this idea that it's full of fire and torture devices and so I, I want to read a quote from Timothy Keller. He says, talking about the Bible, all descriptions and depictions of hell in the Bible are symbolic and metaphorical. Each metaphor suggests one aspect of the experience of hell. For example, fire tells us of the disintegration, while darkness tells us of the isolation. Having said that, does not at all imply that heaven or hell themselves are metaphors. They are very much realities. And see, I think sometimes when we try to talk about hell and think about hell and the questions that we have about hell, we're asking the wrong questions. We want to like, okay, what exactly is it like? How exactly does it work? What does it look like? And we kind of try to think through this and we look in the Bible and we see descriptions of it as a lake of fire or a lake of sulfur. And we look in the Bible and we see it as a pit and we hear language of an eternal burning fire and an endlessly devouring worm. And it's this imagery that is dark and it draws up uh, uh, all these ideas in our head and these symbols. But what Timothy Keller is pointing out here is that the type of literature we're seeing when the Bible describes hell as like an apocalyptic metaphor, and it's looking towards the future, and it's explaining through metaphor the reality of hell that is not uh, uh, trying to explain the physical reality, but is trying to explain the spiritual and emotional reality. 
I think some of us today are probably like, whew. All right, so it's not like as bad as like, you know, I've always kind of thought it is. And all right, okay, so maybe it's like hell is just more like it's metaphorical when they say this stuff. It's like the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. It's like that's more a metaphor. It's probably not that bad. And I'm sorry, I have bad news. It might be worse. See, what's happening here is Jesus talks about hell. That's another important point to know. Nobody talks about hell more than Jesus. Is that what we're seeing in these descriptions might not be the literal description of what hell is like, but it is an accurate description of what hell will be, of the reality of hell that is beyond the physical, that is beyond the fire, and is something greater and different and spiritual and, and, and physical and emotional all wrapped up in one. It is something greater than what is being described here in scripture. So first off, hell is full of fire and torture devices and a sadistic God and all these different things. No. But is it still a painful and crushing reality that we have to deal with? Yes. And second, I think we see heaven and hell as these two kind of opposite kingdoms. Just an interesting fact, the Bible never uses the language heaven and hell. It never pairs those two ideas together. The Bible often talks about heaven and earth. Heaven, the place where God is. Earth, the place where we are right now. The realm of God, uh, uh, the realm that we exist in right now. It talks about heaven and earth as these pairs and partners. But it actually doesn't talk about heaven and hell as pairs or partners. Not meant to be like, okay, these are the polar opposites. And I think sometimes that we have this idea in our head that it's kind of like the force in Star Wars. It's like there's the light side and there's the dark side. There's heaven and there's hell. There's these two equal kingdoms and we have God and he's in heaven and he's ruling his kingdom and he's trying to win us there. And we have the devil and he's in hell and he's ruling his kingdom and he's trying to bring us over there. And this is actually a broken idea. This is called uh, um, uh, uh, duology. No, do, 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 uh, do, duo something. Uh, <laughs> But basically, it is this idea that there's like these two opposite forces that rule the world. There's the good force and the bad force. And these two forces rule the world, and they compete against each other. It's light and dark. It's this ancient idea uh, uh, propagated uh, popularly by Plato. Uh, but it's actually not a Christian idea at all. See, the Christian idea is that God is in control of all things that he is providence over everything, that he is the one God, the one creator, that, the, that to actually say that there's like these two kingdoms that are battling against each other in that way is to actually put the devil way too close to the level of God. And so, yes, the devil is real. There is an enemy. There is attacks against us. There is a darkness in the world. But we believe that God rules over all things and everything. And when we look at hell, it is not a place that the devil rules over. It's not his kingdom, but it is actually his punishment. See, the Bible talks about the devil being thrown into hell as his punishment. That hell was actually created for the devil as the place where he would suffer and he would be punished. That is the creation of God by God for God's purposes. And what we read earlier, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's trying to calm them as he's telling them they're going to go out into the world to share the good news of his kingdom. And they're going to come against violence and abuse and persecution. And he's trying to comfort them. And he says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, the only one, the God Almighty, God in heaven, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. 
See, hell is God's creation for God's purposes. And, and if we want to wiggle around and be like, well, that's like maybe like the Old Testament God that's like angry, which we've already talked about is not the reality. God is consistent throughout all of Scripture. But we actually don't really see hell being super clearly defined in the Old Testament. It is most clearly defined by Jesus. He talks about hell more than anybody else in the entire Bible. He is the authority on hell, the ones who describes it the most, who breaks it down the most, who clarifies it the most. So even if we are just looking at his words alone, we have to wrestle with this idea of hell. We have to struggle with it. We have to wrestle with the fact that hell is not just something that some evil force out there has created, but it's something that God has created for his purposes that Jesus has taught us and affirmed. So how do we wrestle with it? I think in order to wrestle with this concept of hell, we need to first understand free will and our power to choose. See, the cost of authentic relationship is choice. And what we see in the beginning, if we go back to this narrative again of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, what we see is that when we go back to creation, that God created us with the ability to choose. He created us with free will. He created us that way so that we could actually have a true, loving relationship with him. And in doing that, he knew that we would actually eventually choose to not follow him. We would actually choose other than God, other than our relationship with him, and that through that choice, there would be this massive consequence that would cover the entire earth. That there would be evil, and there would be suffering, and there would be hurt, and there would be pain. But what we need to understand and what we need to trust is that God knew that the value of relationship with him, the value of a relationship that is not just like mind control, that is not just with no free will but with, or no choice, but the value of actually having a real, authentic, loving relationship with God, of being able to choose him, of having the will to choose him or to reject him, that love and that relationship, at the end of the day, when you look at the cosmic scales, outweighs all of the evil and the suffering in the universe. And I think if we really actually start to think about it, we can begin to understand just how important this idea of choice is. The, 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 the idea of what we're able to choose God and what we're able to choose in our lives. See, the beauty of being able to watch a sunset is like I could have been on my phone. The beauty of being able to, to love my family and to love my wife is that I could just choose not to and choose something else. But that's a choice that we have to make every single day. See, the beauty of generosity is that we get to choose to be generous, that we get to choose to give above and beyond or outside of ourselves or not just use things for our own purposes, but to actually look for others. If we begin to actually just for a moment imagine a world without choice, imagine a world where we are just like on rails doing uh, whatever the you know, just doing whatever. We don't have the choice. We don't have the will. I think it actually breaks down what we like actually believe to be human and who we actually are, and how we actually see, or see ourselves. And I think a lot of us, although the suffering and the pain and the evil in the world is hard to wrestle with and it's hard to reckon with, I think if we really think about it, we wouldn't give up our choice for anything because it's what makes the beautiful moments so beautiful. And what is behind those beautiful moments? What is behind every good choice? What is behind every beautiful thing, every beautiful virtue, every beautiful moment of our lives, every beautiful thing that we see in nature, every loving relationship? What's behind it all is a good God. 
See, God is the source and the supply, the originator of every single good thing within our lives. I was on a, uh, a camping trip recently, uh, backcountry camping, and, uh, uh, and, and we had to like, get water out of the lake. Uh, but it's kind of dangerous to just drink lake water, so we had to use like a filter. And I didn't want to pay like the $90 for a big filter uh, that you set up, and then like it drips out the water over time, and then you have like a bunch of water, which is normally what you would do. And so I bought like a $20 straw filter. And literally what this is, it's a straw with a filter in it, and you just like stick it straight in the lake and just drink. You're just like, you can just toss that thing in a puddle if you really want to. And you're just like kind of putting in this scuzzy water. Your like face is pretty close to it. You're just like sucking it up. And it goes like super, super, super slow. And so you're just like there for like 15 minutes trying to get like a little bit of water to refresh yourself. And honestly, I, this is so bad. This is like such a man thing. Like recently I was talking to somebody and they were like, yeah, like do you have uh, like Tide Pods for your laundry? I was like, oh yeah, for sure. That's what we use. And Emily's like, we haven't used those for two years. I was like, Whoops. Um, and I feel like this is another moment like that because uh, uh, this straw that we bought, I was like, this is working pretty well. I like this straw. It's going good. Like my water bottle, I have a giant water bottle I always have with me. It like was staying full. Um, and there was a little bag that you could tie onto the straw and then like push water through it to go into your water bottle, fill up what you needed. Um, and, you know, we, you know, division of labor, I had been doing some things like stirring the fire and and, uh, you know, like sawing up some wood and stuff. And, and Emily had been fetching the water. And uh, at one moment, I had to go down and I had to grab the water. And I was like, yeah, the straw's working pretty great. This is a cool solution. And I go down and I'm doing it. And about 25 minutes in, I was like, how is my wife not broken apart yet? Like, oh my gosh, this is so frustrating. And I'm just there like squeezing this little bag of water. My bottle's like half full. It's like dripping out the other end. I was like, oh my gosh, I made a terrible choice. This is not something worth cheaping out on. It was a terrible decision. And Emily had just been totally saving me the whole time. But when I think about God and I think about him being our source and our supply, I kind of think about this filter. And it's like, yeah, if we want to actually partake in this life-giving thing, if we want to drink the fresh water, I actually have to embrace the filter when I'm camping. Like, I can't drink the water from the lake straight up. I'm going to get sick. Can't just not drink water at all. I can't grab the filter but, like, leave the cap on and be like, you know what, the filter's great, but I just don't like taking the cap off. just makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I don't like that part of it. And then try and suck through the straw, and nothing's going to happen. I just will not be connected to the source of life. And what we see is that God is the source of life. He is our supply. He is the originator of everything. And he is also holy. He is set apart. He is perfect. That's what makes him so great. But by the nature of him being perfect, it means he cannot abide in perfection. By the nature of him being holy, it means that he cannot be where there is not holiness. He'll just burn it up. He'll destroy it just by his very nature and his very being because perfection and imperfection, by their definitions, cannot exist in the same place. And so because of this, we see, and it says, we see even that heaven wouldn't be heaven if there was sin in it. And so because of this, we need the filter. Because of this, we need the process. Because of this, there needs to be a way to take the evil out of things, to take the evil out of the world so that God can have relationship with us. See, what we read from Jesus when he's talking to his disciples, he says, and even the very hairs on your head are numbered. 
See, he's talking about hell. He's talking about the fact that God is the only one who can destroy our bodies and our souls. But even as he does this in this context, he's doing it not to strike fear into his disciples, but to inspire them with the love of God. To show, him, show them how much God cares for them, how much he values them, and how much he sees them, that they should just be totally enraptured by him. See, God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to just subsist on the glimpses of heaven. That he doesn't want us to just subsist on the glimpses of his glory. Of just these little fleeting moments of beauty that we have in our world. Of just the little bits of his kingdom we get in the midst of a fallen and broken world. He actually wants better. He wants us to experience his perfection. He wants us to experience eternity and unity and relationship with him. But he is a perfect God. So by the very nature of it, there needs to be a process. The evil needs to be taken out. It needs to be sent away. It needs to be filtered. And that's what hell is. And so if we want to actually really like have a good understanding of the beauty of God, of the love of God, if we want to enjoy his, his beauty and his perfection, we need to understand that hell is a necessary component. I think for a lot of us, think we're actually a little more comfortable with God's justice than we think we are. And when I say that it's a loving act that God is going to take, that God is going to have his justice, it's a loving act that God is actually going to have judgment at the end of days on, 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 on evil in our world, on everything that offends and hurts and harms his good creation, I think a lot of us are actually a lot more comfortable with that idea than we think we are. This idea that in the grand scheme of things, God's justice is actually a deep part of his love. It's, it's a really modern idea uh, uh, in the last like probably like 100 years or so that, that, that love and justice are opposites. That love and justice or love and God's, God's love and God's judgment are kind of conflicting things. I think we see it in our literature, we see it in writings, I think we see it in ourselves that as we sit here today and we talk about hell and we talk about judgment, we talk about punishment, it makes us uncomfortable and it's kind of hard to square with a loving God in our minds because these ideas have become opposed, but it's actually like a very like western suburban perspective, kind of a perspective that comes really out of like being very comfortable throughout our entire lives and not experiencing that much evil and that much pain. Miroslav Volf is a is a uh, is a Yugoslavian theolo- was a Yugoslavian theologian who experienced violence and war firsthand. And in challenging his readers to imagine going and giving a sermon or a lecture to people in a war-torn country, showing up to a place like Ukraine right now and giving a lecture and saying to these people like, yeah, you know what, God is a loving God, so there's not going to be any punishment. He said this, he said, among your listeners are people whose cities and villages have been first plundered, then burned, and leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters have been raped, whose fathers and brothers have had their throats slit. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make the final end to violence, God would not be worthy of our worship. I think if we really look deep down in ourselves, we, we probably agree with this more than we realize. Let's just look at our culture today. 
Whether you're on the left or the right, let's look at this idea of cancel culture. It came out of this place of seeing people who have been committing uh, horrible crimes and atrocities against others continually, time and time again. And it was these open secrets that, that a lot of people knew about, but these people were too powerful and there wasn't any punishment. And all of a sudden, it's like we as a society decide, like, we've had enough. There needs to be punishment. There needs to be justice. We can't just let people keep going on hurting others uh, uh, and attacking others uh, without actually saying something about it, without doing something about it. That's the Me Too movement. And so we see this hunger for justice in people in our world. Maybe you look at the other side of the political spectrum and you see these ideas of retribution versus reformation. And you look at, at, at our criminal penal system and there's people who say like, no, like, Yes, I want to rehabilitate people, but it can't just be that. There has to be some retribution. There has to be some punishment for horrible things that have been done and horrible acts that have been committed. And I think if we're actually really real with ourselves and we look inside of ourselves and we look around at our world, we can see that people actually want justice. We believe that a loving God is going to punish Hitler. We believe that a loving God is going to punish rapists. We believe that a loving God is going to punish murderers. We believe that a loving God actually should have an element of justice in how he governs the world. But what we see when we look around is we see broken forms of punishment. We see the Me Too movement developing and growing and continuing. And then all of a sudden there's this kind of cancel culture that comes out of it that's like, like saying that people like can't ever be employed again after they've made a mistake and how they've approached a conversation. We see things where, where we have the death penalty being enacted, but it's disproportionately affecting certain groups of people and people are being put to death uh, unfairly. We see that in our, our feeble attempts at justice as humans, we consistently make mistakes. It consistently breaks down. We see that often those who actually enact the punishments are sadistic and they find a pleasure and a joy out of it and it turns our stomachs. We look around and we see that when we as humans try to take justice into our own hands, it breaks down time and time again. Now, I do believe that the Bible calls us to do our best. The Bible calls governments to actually have some level of justice. He calls us as Christians and believers to seek some level of justice in the world around us. But unfortunately, there's always going to be imperfection and brokenness in our attempts to do so. And that is why we can actually find a deep hope and a deep courage and a deep confidence in a God who brings about perfect justice at the end. Who says that, hey, at the end of time, no matter what went unpunished, no matter what went unseen, no matter, no matter what, you, what, what people got off for or people were unjustly punished for here on earth, that I am going to set things right. That there will be just punishment, not evil punishment, not harsh punishment, not over-the-top punishment, but a just punishment based on actions at the end of time. And I, a perfect judge, will deliver it. And what we need to understand is that God isn't like us. Maybe for us, when we see human judgment enacted, it's often over the top. It's often excessive. It's often done with sedition and like a joy of like wanting to actually like, like carry out that judgment. But what we see in God is we can't actually prescribe our human brokenness and our human feebleness to him. We need to trust that a perfect God is able to hand out perfect judgment sorrowfully, sadly, but necessarily for the evil that we see in the world. But there's a problem here. See, when we examine ourselves and we go deep down, 
we find that the evil isn't just something that's around us. It's not just something that's in others. But if we're being truly transparent with ourselves, evil is something that's inside of us. We've all turned away from God. We've all done bad things. We've all hurt others and ourselves. That's the flip side of choice, of the ability to choose love, is that since we have been given that choice, humanity has been choosing other than God. Humanity has been choosing evil. We've been putting things like our desires for knowledge and our desires for wealth and our desires uh, uh, to do things on our own and to be prideful and to try to make our way in any other way outside of God before God since day one. Because of this, we frankly all deserve punishment. I think it's something that people wrestle with a lot is like, man, like, even for like the little things do we deserve punishment? But, but, but really where it comes from, really the reason is like, it's just because like we're not willing to use the filter. It's like God is offering us an opportunity to choose him. He's offering us relationship with him. And see, those that are going to be in hell are those who are going to reject that opportunity who are not going to actually choose to, to take that lifeline, to use the straw, to actually like, like use the filter, to, to actually surrender themselves and say to God, you know what, I'm not going to build my life on myself. I'm going to build my life on you. God, I'm actually going to admit my pride. I'm going to admit my sinfulness. I'm going to admit my brokenness. I'm going to surrender it because that is all it takes for him to save us. See, we all deserve punishment because we've chosen other than God. And the reality is choosing outside of God always leads to evil for others and for ourselves. It is a corroding state of being that breaks us down. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it is opened. See, I firmly believe that, that at the end of the day, hell is a choice. And it comes down to this willingness to surrender. Willingness to come before God and say, all right, I, I admit that I'm sinful. I admit that, that my will is lower, that I don't understand it all. I don't have it all figured out. And to say, God, thy will be done. And if we don't, hell is the natural consequence of rejecting that, of choosing to seek other than God, and of sin slowly destroying us from the inside out and God giving us the just consequences for that brokenness and that evil. I think a great way to picture this is Gollum from The Lord of the Rings. He is a character is actually built around this idea of what sin can do to someone. He starts off as something like a hobbit, like a cheerful little river folk. And he puts on this ring that's meant to represent sin and its corrosive power. And it doesn't happen overnight, but over time, slowly it eats away at his soul. And he shrivels down and he becomes this beast and this monster that is less than human, that is less than alive, that, that is just only subsisting on its sin itself. Sin that ultimately destroys it as Gollum goes into this fire in, in Mount Doom. And honestly, I can't think of a better way of describing what the eternal consequence of sin looks like in us, of what it'll look like if we choose to do things our own way, to turn away from God for all of time, and just to see the way that that sin would destroy us from the inside out. But this is the beauty of the cross. 
that we've been given a choice and that even though we've rejected God, even though we've rejected having relationship with Him, even though we've chosen other than Him, even though sin has already got its talents inside of our hearts, even though there's stuff in each and every one of us that is broken, even though there are ways that each and every one of us have hurt others, even though there are things inside of us that are prideful and arrogant and deceitful and broken and, and, and turned away from God and saying we can do it in our own power despite all of that, we don't get what we deserve. Despite all of that, we don't get all of the consequences of our actions. See, I think sometimes we look at hell and we say, man, why? I feel like we're just getting more punishment than we deserve. But I hope today we can come away realizing that none of us gets more than we deserve. But in fact, we have all been offered so much less than we deserve when it comes to punishment. See, because God so loved us that he sent his son to take it. See, the filter needs to be in place. There needs to be a way that the evil is taken out of the world. If heaven and earth are going to be reunited in the end, if God is going to be with us fully, if we're going to have a full relationship with him, and we're going to spend eternity with him, there cannot be imperfection in heaven. There must be a place that it goes. There must be a hell. But, but instead of sending us there, he's given us an opportunity to have the hell taken out of us. See, by Jesus' death and his sacrifice, by him taking on the punishment and the pain that we deserve, God shows that he is the God who loves his people. He is a God who can count every single hair on your head, who knows you from the inside out, who knows your hurt, who knows your brokenness, and has loved you so dearly. He's given you an opportunity to choose him again, to come back to him to do what we cannot do in our own power and receive the gift of his love, of his sacrifice for us, of his defeat of death. Why don't we stand up today? I want everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads. If you're here this morning and you're just like, I, I've never reckoned with this sin inside of me. I've ne never reckoned with the darkness inside of me. I've never reckoned with, with the brokenness and the evil that, that if I admit it is in there. And you're saying, you know what? I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to accept this free gift of salvation. There's nothing you have to do other than just to say to God, I receive it. I'm willing to surrender. I want your love. I want your freedom. I want eternal life with you. So if you're here this morning and you haven't made this decision to follow Jesus before, I just want to give you an opportunity right now in this moment to make that choice. To say, Jesus, I follow you. I want to live my life with you. I want to spend eternity with you and receive your gift of salvation. Why don't you just raise a hand right now if you're here today and you just want to make that choice to follow Jesus for the first time. So wherever you are, why don't you just raise up a hand just as a, a way of saying, hey, you know, I've made this decision. I want to follow Jesus. Awesome, thank you. I'm just gonna pray for you. God, I thank you for, for those making a decision to follow you here this morning, God. Choosing life, choosing you, choosing the freedom and gift of your salvation, Lord. I just pray right now that you would be with them as they go from this place, Lord God. I just pray that you would bless them as they start this journey, Lord, and you would bring the right people alongside them to walk through this with them.
pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate that? And we got to wrap up here. Um, next service is waiting. Um, but, uh, but before we do that, I just want to take a quick opportunity. Um, you can close your eyes and bow our heads again. But if you're here today and you're just like, honestly, like, I'm wrestling with this. This whole idea of hell still just kind of sucks. I hate it. I don't like it. I'm struggling with it. I have questions about it. It makes me uncomfortable. So I want to take a moment and just pray for you. Uh, pray for myself, because honestly, it's not something I feel like I've totally settled in my soul. It's something that I still struggle with and wrestle with and, and need to continue to ask God to work on me. In. And, and I just pray that right now that, that for each of us here, that as we wrestle with this, that God would just give us just a fresh view of his love, a fresh understanding of his beauty and a, and a fresh clarity of just how much he cares for us. So if you're struggling with that and, and you just want some prayer with, alongside me today, why don't you just put up your hand and, uh, and we can just thank you. Hands going up all over this place. Thank you for your honesty. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you for the honesty of everyone in this room, Lord. I pray right now that you would just be with us as we go from this place. God, I pray right now that you would just keep continue to work in our hearts, Lord God, and just overwhelm us with a sense of your love of your care and your compassion for us, Lord God. You are the God who knows every single hair on our heads. You are a God who has a deep care and passion and tenderness for us, Lord God. And I just pray that as we wrestle with hell, as we wrestle with judgment, as we wrestle with these ideas, Lord God, you would just use this not to push us away from you, but to draw us closer into you and into your love, Lord Jesus. Pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.